You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We have a great show, a returning guest. I think he may have the record for being on the show the most. He's a fascinating guy. His name is I. Nelson Rose. He's an attorney, professor of law, and expert on gaming law. His website is gamblingandthelaw.com. He's going to come on and talk about whether social casino games should be regulated. And then also I'm going to ask him about Phil Ivey, Advantage Play, and uh, being able to read the sorting of cards based on card designs on the back. So stay tuned. We'll be back after a quick break. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players, Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour, finally a poker tour designed for poker players. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to bzid.com. BZID is your number one online auction source for brand name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75, 85, and 99% off retail. Go to BZID.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to BZID.com. B-E-E-Z-I-D.com. BZID.com. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual We can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. 
They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. People act like poker's a new game. It ain't. Same game it's always been. Zeros are different. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards and somebody's dog in the background. No question about that. Uh, We're going to be talking with, I guess he's here now on the phone, Nelson Rose. Are you there? Yes. Hi. How are you? I'm well. Is that your dog barking? Yes, that was my dog. What's his Um, name? I'm going to close the door so you won't hear her. (laughs) Okay. For those of you who don't know, um, I, Nelson Rose, is an attorney and a professor of law who's been on this show many times. He's probably the foremost academic and legal expert on gaming law and related issues. We're always happy to have you, Nelson. And uh, I want to ask you about social casino games and whether they should be regulated. You wrote a very interesting article that I read. Tell us what social casino games are and why there's even a question of whether they should be regulated or not. Well, I am the uh, co-editor-in-chief of the Gaming Law Review and Economics, which is a a fairly serious publication. And so I write a column or an article for every issue. And the uh, most recent one I did uh, was entitled just that, Should Social Casino Games Be Regulated? Um, The the history of this is, uh, from, from my involvement, was last year, there was a big academic conference uh, organized by the University of Nevada, Reno, and I got talked into being a trial lawyer for one side of the, of the issue of should social casino games be regulated, and I got put on the side of being pro-regulation. You mean like a mock trial? Yeah, mock trial, even though I was personally kind of thought, oh, no, I'm on the wrong side. I mean, social... Games, by definition, are not gambling, and so they don't need to be regulated. And uh, First of all, uh, Mr. Nelson, up... I'm sorry to interrupt. I know listeners don't like it when I do, but can you tell our listeners what social games are? What are social sure. casino games? Well, the social part comes from being on one of the social media providers like uh, Facebook. Um, the, the fact that they're called it's called gaming and not gambling, is because one of the three elements of gambling have been eliminated. 
surprise, chance, or consideration. <clears throat> so there's a lot of games where you may have to pay to participate, and maybe it depends on chance, but you can't win anything, at least nothing that you can cash in. You win avatars and maybe more lives or something like that. Uh, the other way, another uh, social game would be a skill contest where, again, they charge, you could win a prize of value, even money, but the outcome is determined by skill and not chance. The most common social game uses the freemium model, and so it eliminates the requirement of consideration. Anybody can enter for free. They've given their, the exact same chances of winning. But if they don't want to wait, say, an extra hour for, for more chips, for more entries, they can pay to continue playing. No requirement, but you can, you can pay. And you, maybe you can buy other special things that help you with the game or even, um, again, avatars or something like that. And so, and these have become tremendously successful. Um, to show you how successful people know about Zynga, which was the most <clears throat> successful social gaming company in the world. Well, Caesars Entertainment, which is a casino company, owns Harrah's and a lot of other casinos. It's been buying up some of these providers, the inventors of these social games, and it now makes more money every year than Zynga does off of the social games. Wow. Uh, social casino games would be games that look like casino style or other gambling games. Could be a lottery-like game, but a lot of these are games that look like slot machines only they're not really slot machines. They are. Um, they look like them, but you don't have to pay to play. But a very small percentage of players, in fact, do pay to play because they want to play more, say, than uh, the free entries they can get just by waiting a certain period of time. Okay, so I, I actually I wonder if this falls into that category. I remember. Back when uh, Poker Stars started out, when they were beta testing it, they didn't have cash games. They were all free games. Right. But my nephew, my first cousin, played on it, and somebody on the site offered to buy. He had won like a million dollars in virtual chips. Right. And somebody else on the site offered to buy his chips, and he didn't understand why anybody would pay for something that, wasn't worth anything, but apparently people do right. buy chips. Yeah, right? that the, it, that issue has been pretty much resolved, That uh, and it really was big on the massive multiplayer uh, artificial words worlds, where if you can transfer whatever goodies you're winning, you know, Linden dollars or fairy gold or magic swords, and you can sell those if there's a secondary market, then that and and you're paying to participate, uh, assuming the results are predominantly by chance. That is gambling. So many of them 
uh, of the sites like Second Life put restrictions saying you couldn't transfer the items, and they eliminated the uh, – they were actually raided by the FBI, and so they eliminated games that looked just like casinos and the secondary market in uh, what you could win at, at these online casinos. Nelson, I'm just, we're going to have to take a quick break. We're talking to Professor I. Nelson Rose, the expert on gambling and the law. We'll be right back. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Need to sell your house fast? We're Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize. Tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast. Do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. You're listening to the House of Cards. What happened to your money? Good question. Do you know how easy Texas Hold'em looks on TV when you can see the other guy's whole cards? Yeah. Very different in real life. Welcome back, listeners. We're here still with Professor I. Nelson Rose, who is the expert on gambling and the law. You can read more about his thoughtful words and uh, observations at gamblingandthelaw.com. All right, so why would anybody want to regulate it if there's no consideration or there's no element of chance or if it's right. a skill? Why would anybody care? Well, what happened was I, I was... Um, uh, you know, uh, chosen to be the lawyer for this hypothetical state on a mock trial, um, and I was had to be in favor of regulation. Well, it's been a few years since I've been a trial attorney, and the guy I was up against was an active practicing trial attorney. So I figured, okay, you've got to do what what you do when you're going to go to trial, which is you do a lot of research and prepare. And I found out there's all sorts of interesting issues that have not been really addressed. Because it is not gambling, it is not regulated, other than for things like obvious fraud, right? It doesn't, it's like a no purchase necessary sweepstakes, 
which is, okay, you can buy the product, but you don't have to. You can just log on and you get free chips, say, let's make it a poker game or something like a slot machine, and you play and you get to the next level, and if you lose and run out, well, you can wait and get more chips, more more coins to play the slot machine, uh, or you can pay. And it turns out a small percentage, 1% to 3% of players, do pay to continue. The amounts they're paying are pretty similar to the amounts that people are playing on real gambling sites. So one of the things is there's the, the things to realize about these is there are a small percentage of people who gamble just for gambling's sake, and they don't care whether they win or lose. They just like being able to play on slot machines and will pay to play on them, even if they can't win anything. Um, and if they can win something, then then it makes there, there's even more of an enticement. The biggest problems I have found with social casino gaming is the mistaken belief that players have that they're random. These are not random games. They are not slot machines. They look like slot machines and other casino gambling games, but in fact, they have what's called dynamic balancing. And in fact, the inventors brag about the fact that the games are addictive because they don't come out of the gambling world, they come out of the video game world. Uh, So they say, you know, as addictive as Angry Birds or Candy Crush. And what they mean is if the game gets too hard, if you start to lose, it's programmed so that you'll start winning. If you win too much, it's programmed to be harder, so you start losing. Um, There's obviously no slot machine that can be set at different odds depending on whether you're winning or losing, Um, and people don't know this. It's not gambling also, so there's no reason why it has to be set for less than, say, 100%. Right, but they can can rope you in, and so those even if it's a small percentage who are paying money to acquire whatever the premiums are there, um, they are. Right. you could say that if the site's not regulated, it could be an unfair way of enticing and encouraging and addicting people who are spending money. And it's got an, an impact, potential impact on the real world, which is we call this grooming. You can take young players, but any new player who doesn't have experience starts playing on one of these slot machine-like games and doesn't realize, although this game is set for 125%, they will never find a slot machine in Las Vegas that is set for 125%. Right, right. so it's preparing them for something that doesn't exist that can seduce them into the world of slot play unfairly. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, listeners, just so you know, we are talking to gaming expert I, Nelson Rose, uh, who, if you're interested in what he has to say, you can go on to his site, gamblingandthelaw.com. I'm going to switch gears. I know there's more to more sure. ore to mine here, but I want to get on to the other question before we run out of time of advantage play and edge sorting. 
Uh, For those of you who haven't followed this uh, story in the news, Phil Ivey, both in England, I guess, and then now in uh, Atlantic City, has been accused uh, by casinos and sued, in fact, uh, for doing what they consider to be cheating. Other people consider it to be just advantage play by figuring out and being observant enough to notice the irregularities and the edges of cards and using that to his advantage when he's played Baccarat. Uh, what do you think about this, Nelson? Well, um, I've actually written about this. On, I did. I think it's posted on my website, gamblingandthelaw.com. I often act as a consultant and an expert witness for governments and industry. And, of course, it usually involves legal issues, the meaning of what terms are, like what does it mean to be a lottery, or is is a game legal? Somebody sets up a game with a free alternative means of entry or a skill contest, and they need a legal opinion that, yeah, they can operate it on the Internet. But um, uh, some years ago, I was called in on a case where they suspected uh, that an Indian casino had uh, been using marked cards. And it was actually the Indian casino that hired me. Um, And so I figured, well, I can do this. And I looked over all the various ways to mark cards. The first thing I looked at was for edge markings. What happens is the, the cards where the pattern goes all the way to the edge, and make sure make it a diamond. Well, the card companies aren't really good about uh, the way they cut the ba- the cards. Sometimes there'll be a full diamond pattern in a in a corner. Other times it'll be a half a pattern. And you can actually create a phony deck by buying lots a marked deck that is not undetectable by buying up lots of these decks of cards, taking out, say, all the 10-count cards that happen to have a full diamond in the corner and create your own deck of cards so that the markings have been put there by the, uh, by the manufacturer of the cards. Right. What, what, um, what happened in this case was the player uh, figured out, hey, I noticed there are some full diamonds in the upper left corner, say, of cards that are 10-count cards um, or ace cards, whatever he was keeping track of. Um, My personal feeling is it is the responsibility of the casino to make sure that they're using cards that can't be read from the back. Um, Nobody's accusing anybody of, of dobbing or or putting any marking on the card, it would be like having a card that was bent, but you didn't bend it. And you realize, my God, that card's bent. I know what it is. Well, then, okay. Um, I, so, in other words, you don't think that it's cheating? I don't think that that part is... I don't think Phil Ivey did anything wrong by noticing that the casino wasn't being careful enough in terms of... of the cards they use that they could be, some of them could be read generally from the back. All right. Well, then let what me, let me did, ask. Okay, go ahead. But did, what he did wrong. Yes, tell us. Yeah, what he did, which is questionable, was he had someone with him who gave a phony story, said that Phil Ivey was superstitious 
and therefore he wanted to keep playing with the same deck of cards. Um, <laughs> now, again, it's up to the casino to simply say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, in many casinos, like in Macau, they destroy the cards after a single use, so you can't get any information uh, from the backs. But um, I, that's the part that I find problematic, is lying. If he hadn't said anything, if, if, if you know, he and his partner had simply said, no, please keep using the same you know, shoe of cards, that would, then they wouldn't have any argument at all. But coming up with a phony reason, like that he was superstitious, well, now he is, in fact, lying. But that's a separate question. Lying isn't necessarily a crime, and it's not necessarily cheating. Listeners, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of June 23rd, 2014. In a big business move last week, Canadian internet gaming company Amaya Gaming purchased the parent companies of PokerStars and Full Tilt Poker. This purchase created the world's largest publicly listed online gaming company. Amaya paid a whopping $4.9 billion for the company. In a statement, Amaya said the deal would expedite the entry of PokerStars and Full Tilt Poker into the regulated U.S. gaming markets. A New Jersey judge said the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City does not have to pay the $1.5 million a group of backrack players won when they realized the cards had not been shuffled. Judge James Isman ruled that because the cards had not been shuffled, the game was illegal under state casino rules. Fourteen players racked up winnings over 41 straight hands when they noticed the cards coming out in a specific pattern. And finally, a couple weeks ago, we gave you a story about how Ben Affleck was kicked out of the Hard Rock Casino in Vegas for allegedly counting cards. Apparently, his reputation followed him into Canada. Radar Online reports that Affleck was at the Caesars Windsor Casino in Ontario at the High Rollers table when security came over, told the dealer to stop, and asked Affleck to leave. Hey, Ben, you may want to stay out of the casinos for a while. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio.
Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is traveling around the region now. Upcoming stops include the Majestic Star Casino in Gary, Indiana, July 26th to August 3rd, and the Tropicana Evansville, Evansville, Indiana, August 16th to the 24th. The last event at the Majestic Star generated a prize pool of over $300,000, so don't be left out. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for registration and additional tournament information. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. This, this is, is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. And as promised, our most frequent and uh, probably our best informed guest that we have had on a number of times, uh, Professor I. Nelson Rose. And you can find out more if you're intrigued by this show. You can find out more about him by going to his website, gamblinginthelaw.com. Well, let me ask you this thing, because I've had this discussion with friends not in the poker or gambling world, but just friends in public. Let's say... Let's forget cards. Let's say I am uh, in a casino, and I notice that a slot machine, for whatever reason, is paying out ten times what it says on the uh, machine is going to pay out. When I hit three cherries, instead of paying out 100, it pays out 1,000. Right. Is it cheating for me to keep... Uh, putting money in that machine and depleting it so that I'm getting 10 times what a reasonable person would know they're supposed to get? Well, that case actually did come up. There was an Indian casino near Santa Barbara, California, where they had accidentally programmed the machine that when you inserted a quarter, it read a dollar. So you were getting four times the advantage, and it lasted for a couple days before I think actually a player reported it. Then the casino wanted to sue and get the money back and got the district attorney involved on whether or not it was cheating. Um, that is, that's different from a mechanical malfunction, taking advantage of a mechanical malfunction is different from taking advantage of information that is actually available to anybody who looks at the backs of cards. Why? Why is it different? If it's a mechanical malfunction that I observed, um, it could be cards that were causing the malfunction. It could be anything. But it's um, it, you know that um, you know it's not designed. The game isn't designed for this. So if you put in a quarter and it registers that you put in a dollar, anybody and everybody would know, you know, that's, there is something, there's a malfunction. But wait a and, second, but Nelson. malfunctions Okay, void. fair right. enough. So it's a malfunction, but clearly Phil Ivey and anybody else knows, knows with certainty that the cards are not designed to be read from the back. Certainly he knew that... The game is not designed for even a very observant player to know, based on the card design, what the cards are. Correct? That's true. So if the the test is whether you know that the game isn't designed for this, then whether it's a card game or whether it's a mechanical game, there's no difference. 
I think the difference is with the cards, first of all, it is the casino's responsibility. Of course, it's the casino's responsibility to make sure that the slot machine doesn't um, malfunction. But um, I was at the Sands Casino in Macau the month it opened and got a tour where they have a room that's this giant room where they destroy the cards after a single use. So you wouldn't have that situation. It also would be an easy case if it, if it was the player who was putting the marks on. But if you simply detected uh, a mark, that would be I, – I don't consider that as a malfunction. That would be more like you realize, hey, one of their machines is set to pay five for one on a straight where all the other ones are only set to pay four for one. Then you're, if, that, if that's the rules of the game, you're playing by the rules. Yes, but that clearly is very different from noticing defects in the backs of the cards, which is the only way to refer to it. It's not like, well, he just thought that was part of the game and he noticed that it, there was a clumping that went on. I mean, one thing to notice yeah. a clumping of cards uh, and shuffle tracking, that's one thing. But to notice an obvious defect not designed into the game to be able – what if it said – what if you had a deck of cards that actually had the numbers very lightly showing through, showing yeah. through the card? Now, clearly uh, – it wasn't designed for that, and you would say that everybody would know that that was wrong, and if you took advantage of it, the casino could say, wait a second, wait a second, we're taking our money back. That was not intended. At least, what was the outcome, by the way, of the slot machine case? Did the district They ended up just dropping it all um, because it was too legally questionable whether they could um, sue to get the money back or whether it was a crime whether it was cheating. So the issue wasn't uh, resolved. They just decided not to. So, how yeah. about this? What if you went into a casino, forget a gambling game, and you got a money machine, and you pressed in, uh, you wanted $100, and it spit out $10,000. Right. And, and you said, oh, isn't this wonderful? The machine, they're having a promotion. I'm taking yeah, my $10,000, right. and I'm going to spend it. And uh, is that a crime? Well, uh, it is certainly, I, I teach a class called Remedies. It's something called unjust enrichment, which is if somebody accidentally pays you too much, then you do have to pay it back. There actually was a real case with a guy named John Smith, and his stockbroker accidentally sent him a check for $100,000, the wrong John Smith. Well, he had to return it. He locked it away into um, a certificate of deposit, but he still had to return it. Um, the The difference is, and, and I've been involved in a lot of slot machine cases, I think if it is something that is obvious that it's a malfunction, then I don't have that much sympathy for the player. In other words, it says maximum price 2500 and somebody puts in a nickel and comes up with a one 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 you know one hundred and eleven million dollar prize you know which is just impossible um, the 
I don't even know if I would – I don't feel the same way about cards. I think that even if the deck was faultily manufactured and they were faintly visible from the back, um, you know, they accidentally put the numbers on both sides. Um, if the casino doesn't see that and stop it, um, I'm not sure and, – and the player isn't doing anything but just reading the information that's available to everybody. That, that's the normal definition of cheating, is did you manipulate things, did you change the game, or do you have information that is not available to everybody sitting at the table? Well, And but, reading the backs of cards, you do have the information. You just are better at it than other people. But it's not just that you're better at it. It's that you have found a flaw in the game that other people don't know to look for that you are exploiting. Unlike blackjack, where people, at least now, all know that there are counting systems that you can use to gain an advantage over the house, people would not know that there are imperfections in the cards that they could look for and study in order to gain an advantage over the house. Clearly, Phil Ivey, in this case, was intending to use a you know, you may not want to call it a defect, but I think of it as a defect in the card and exploiting it. Um, I'm thinking, if, for example, I knew that a roulette wheel was yeah. not true because I had some way of clocking the wheel, and I knew that 32 was coming out, and right. all those in that quadrant were coming out more, and I had clocked it, and I knew that that wheel was not true, you're saying that, well, anybody could have clocked that wheel and figured out that it wasn't true, so it's information available to anybody, unless I unfairly got it from the manufacturer and I was in collusion. Well, but no, in fact, they've now they've passed statutes saying you can't clock a wheel. You can't use an artificial means of keeping track of you know, the time and speed of a wheel. Oh, no, I'm not saying, I, I know I read the eudaimonics pie. I'm not saying clocked it in terms of speed and that oh. I'm using an artificial device to time it. I'm saying I watched the wheel. For yeah. I had a team of 20 of us have gone in in rotation, and we have recorded. In fact, you can even get the recorded numbers, and we sure. have observed that this wheel tilts slightly to the right because the numbers in that quadrant come out more frequently over yeah. 20,000 spins. Well, in fact, I, I actually I did that at a charity Las Vegas night where they had brought in a cheap toy wheel. Okay, okay, yeah. What did happen? And it was, it was falling on the same number a lot because it, it really was off balance. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was, a, you know, it was a charity thing, and it didn't, I didn't win, couldn't win anything. Uh, ended up with a lot of chips. Um, but imagine you're playing blackjack and a dealer flips over an ace and then while, uh, while putting it back in, he accidentally bends the corner. And you see it. I mean, are you under an obligation to tell the casino, gee, you better replace this deck of cards because I know that's an ace. No, um, and I think it's the responsibility of the casino to make sure that their cards can't be read from the, from the back. Remember, these are manufactured these, this way, that there are, these are cards that are made exactly the way they're supposed to be made. It's only that 
some people are more observant, um, including they're more observant than casino security is and casino management. They shouldn't be using cards like this anyway. They should be using cards that have a white border around it so that each the back of each card is identical to the back of every other card. Right. Well, I think there was a movie about this where somebody actually paid a manufacturer, which makes it very different. Wasn't yes. there a movie about this in the 60s or 70s with, was it with Steve McQueen where he makes millions of dollars uh, in just this way? I don't know about that. I know that... I have um, – I've seen it. I, I, I know how you do it, how you can create a deck and even put it back into a box with sealed cellophane so it looks like it's a completely new deck. And But it turns out, say, all the tens and aces have full diamonds in the corner and the other ones don't. But that's cheating. That is manipulating the game. This is simply seeing – they're using the same cards over and over again. And, hey, I know what that card is. Maybe it's bent. Maybe it's got the full diamond on it. And if they're dumb enough to keep using the same card over and over again, I don't consider that as, a, as taking advantage of a mechanical defect on a slot machine. Fair enough. As always, a fascinating discuss, discussion with you, Nelson. Um, yeah, thank you. And I, I can see, I mean, I see the argument, but... Um, and I don't like the the fact that he was dishonest. You know, that's... Right. Lying that's about his reason that he didn't want to change because he was superstitious. Although, I might develop some superstitions if uh, the product was so positive by not changing the deck. Yeah, I mean, is it maybe he's even telling the truth? Hey, right, right. I'll, I'll continue <laughs> to win if you keep using the same there deck. There you go. Well, we're going to have to end it there, Nelson. Thank you again. You're always a great guest. We look forward to having you on. For those of you who are interested in reading more, gamblingandthelaw.com. I, Nelson Rose, attorney and professor of law. Thank you very much for joining us, great. Nelson. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Listeners, we're going to be back with another guest after a quick break. Midwest Poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine, 
Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Previously on House of Cards. They were very rude, and um, they kicked me out. Really? They, they kicked me out of <laughs> About a minute and a half later, two very large guys came up behind me as I was seated, and they said, Sir, you'll have to come with us. You've been asked to leave. House of Cards has secretly obtained the audio from this Las Vegas poker room. Here's the poker room manager's instructions to his staff upon seeing Ashley. I see you. I see you. You hit that in the face really f***ing hard. Sorry, man. <laughs> Ow, ow, ow. House of Cards, spreading love wherever we go. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. This is our mailbag segment. I'm joined in studio by one of my producers, Dave Weishel. Actually, today I'm joined by both of them because we're upstairs and <laughs> All three of us are here. Uh, it's like a walk-in closet, isn't it? No, it's a little bigger. It's cozy. <laughs> it's, it's a little little smaller than yeah. some studios I've been in, but larger than others. So um, what's up this week? Well, last week we talked about your uh, recent trip to India. I know you covered how bad the traffic was and your observance of uh, two different species of animals having sex. <laughs> but we really never tackled the poker scene in India. I just wanted to get your impressions of... Uh, what, what your ideas about the Indian poker scene was? Two species of animals having sex. Yeah, the, that's, uh, my, uh, the, that's my the, observations. Right now, everyone's going to our podcast page for last week's show. So yeah. it's, uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't have my, uh, my video camera yeah. available, but wow. Anyway, um, poker scene. Well, there are four or five casino boats that have poker in Goa. This is right uh, in the city of... I forget the name, Panjim, I think, something like that, Panjim. They uh, have shuttle boats that connect. So you go out to these big casino boats, and the one I went to was the Casino Royale, which is the hot spot for poker okay. in, uh, in Goa. And what's funny is after all this incredibly foreign, different, weird, uh, surrealistic Indian landscape, I come out to this boat, get on board, walk downstairs to the poker room, and it's like being in a nice California poker room. <laughs> it's really not a whole lot different, except it's nicer. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's um, very nicely appointed. The tables are um, more like you'd see in a rich person's uh, den than you'd see in a, like a, the mass-produced, relatively inexpensive poker tables you see in a lot of poker rooms today. Okay. Nicely appointed. Not like the Poker Palace in Vegas. Not no. like the Poker Palace. Um, there's no smoking, even though well, that's good. the rest uh. of the country has tons of smoking. There's no smoking in the poker room. The It's funny. It was about 95 degrees outside. The poker room, I'm not exaggerating, when I got there, was about 55 degrees. They had air-conditioned the temperature so low that it was I was uncomfortably cold. <laughs> really? Uh, which, you know, I, I asked the poker room manager, I said, hey, I was freezing in here. He said, don't worry, it will heat up when the players really start arriving. And sure enough, by the time I left, two hours later, when the room was filled with players, it was 
uh, about 72 degrees. He he absolutely had it right on wow, the nail. Uh, the poker itself, I only witnessed two poker games while I was there. There was a cash game that I played in. The cash game was the equivalent of $2, $4 blind, $200 minimum buy-in, $800 or $900 maximum buy-in. But they told me that they will they spread all the time much bigger games, mm-hmm. uh, the equivalent of 4 8-5-10, 10-25, and even a bigger game than that, occasionally a 25-50 game, which when you consider that the average family earning in uh, in India is about, I think it's about $4,200 a year. Hmm. We're talking about major league money by Indian standards. Although, this is an interesting thing that uh, the poker room manager and I talked about. Poker room manager's name is Craig, um, and we spoke for quite a long time. He was very generous with his time. We think a poker in- room manager in India is named Craig? He came from England. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. which makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. It's, uh, <laughs> and he knows, you know, all the guys in the poker world. Um, very, very obliging. And, yes, he's he's an Anglo like me, yeah. s- speaks with a British accent from uh, the central part of the U.K. I forget which place, the Midland area, uh, maybe Manchester. I forget. In any event, um, what we talked about was that even though the percentage of the Indian population that's middle class is much, much smaller than the United States, you know, in the United States, about 90% of Americans identify themselves as middle class. Um, In India, it's closer to 20%. But when you realize that the population of India is a billion people, their middle class is larger than ours. Yeah. yeah. Right? They got 200 million, something like that. So there are, there's no shortage of people with money. And uh, they think that the poker market is just at the very beginning of just exploding and taking off like gangbusters. He told me that this room has only been around for a couple of years and that prior to that, people did not know how to play poker in India. They had to teach gamblers who were in the casino how to play poker. I mean, there were obviously exceptions, people that had, you know, gone to school in England or the United States and had come home. But for the most part, uh, poker is not in any way indigenous, you know, found in India until these boats opened up. So he's very excited. Were, were they mostly Indian players playing there, or were there a lot of tourists in there? Or they, Well, that's very interesting. Oh. Yes and yes. Oh, okay. All Indian, except for me, and almost all of them were tourists, Indian tourists, okay. <laughs> that come down, and a lot of them come regularly from uh, other cities, because with the exception of a place way up in the border with Bhutan and China, in the northeast corner, this is the only place you can legally play poker. In the whole country. So if you're a poker player and you don't want to just play in a private underground game, you come down to Goa for the weekend or for the week or for two weeks. Or if you're unemployed for a couple of months, I guess, and you come and you play. And at my table, um, there were a couple of people on vacation. There were a couple of people that seemed to be retired. Uh, There was one just absolutely wild gambler who wanted to play in the private VIP room upstairs for huge money and was horrible. And I was just salivating at the, and, you know, <laughs> one, a very significant pot by, by those small stake standards from him. Uh, the game itself was played just about the way a game with 
not great opponents would be in the United States, like a one-two game in the United States. There'd be um, a lot of calling of the blind pre-flop. Occasionally somebody would raise, and, you know, if they raised to 12, they'd get three callers. Um, After the flop, you know, I was in a couple of hands that I'd raise to the size of the flop. I mean, I'd bet the the pot, and I would get – a couple of loose callers. People were not very selective. There were the timid players that really waited and waited and waited till they had, you know, premium pairs, and then they would bet them aggressively and everybody would fold. There were some bad loose players that just lost their stack and kept rebuying, and there was this crazy gambler. So it really was not very different. The chips were actually nicer than American chips. I don't know who their manufacturer is, but it was, they felt like 14 or so grams. Um, I would have played longer if I wasn't sick as a dog, <laughs> and I would go back there if this particular room were closer to home. I would be frequenting it regularly because it was a good place to play poker. Well, I have to ask you because I know the answer. We talked about this off air. Gee, Ashley, what's the rake like? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, well, you got to realize they're starting up. They have huge expenses and all that, and I'm not, I'm not attacking them for it, but the rake is insane. Uh, one good thing is it's only 5%. So for small and small middling pots, it's half of what it is in the United States typically, which is 10%. But the maximum rake, which is very important in no limit, because even in a 2-4 game like this, 2-4 blind game, uh, you can have huge pots. The maximum is $100. That's wow. uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, there, you can't make any money like that. Well, I mean, you can you can make money in the short run, but in the long, long run, run yeah. the house is going to end up yeah. with everything. I mean, they've got to. Um, and there's also a bad beat take. I mean, they didn't miss a trick. They have bad beat <laughs> jackpots, and uh, the jackpot was up to the equivalent of about sixty thousand dollars. It was the largest it had ever been in the history of oh. the casino. It only took aces full of jacks to beat which was nice, and wow. 10% of the bad beat jackpot is paid off to anybody when they hit a royal. So in Foxwoods, you get a jacket. Up there, you get 10% of whatever the bad beat is. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm not going back anytime soon, but if anybody wants to play poker in Goa, Casino Royale is the place to play. Uh, listeners, that's the end of the show. We're really glad you joined us. We're always interested in your questions. If you have ideas for guests that we should have on or things you'd like me to talk about, we're very open to that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Good night, good day, and uh, good luck. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.